Chapter Eleven of the Life of Thomas Lord Cochrane, Tenth Earl of Dundonald, Volume One, by Henry Richard Fox Bourne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, eighteen twenty-three to eighteen twenty-four. All of the rewards bestowed upon Lord Cochrane for his wonderful successes in the northern part of Brazil, except the confirmation of his patent as First Admiral, be it noted, were unsubstantial. He had for ever crushed the power of Portugal in South America, he had added vast provinces to the imperial dominion, and had thus augmented the imperial revenues by considerably more than a million dollars a year, besides the great and immediate profits of his prize-taking. And all this had been done with a small fleet, poorly equipped and unpaid. The ships entrusted to him had been rendered efficient by his own ingenuity, unaided by the government, and with scant addition to his resources from the numerous captures made by him. In excess of his instructions, and with nothing but cheap compliments and cheaper promises to encourage him, he had acquired Maranjam and Para, and all the provinces dependent upon them, as well as Baja. Relying on the honour of his employers, he had pledged his own honour, that on their returning to Rio de Janeiro, his crews, who were clamouring for some part at any rate of the wages due to them, should be fully recompensed, and he had the reasonable expectation that out of the abundant wealth that had been gained from Brazil, he himself should receive his lawful share of the prize-money gained by his exertions. Instead of that, he and his subordinates, both officers and men, were subjected to an unparalleled course of meanness, trickery, and fraud. This partly resulted from an unfortunate change in the government that had occurred during his absence. When he left Rio de Janeiro, Pedro I's chief secretary of state had been Don José Bonifacio de Andrade y Silva, a wise and patriotic Brazilian. The emperor and his minister had, all along, been seriously crippled in fulfilment of their good purposes by subordinates of the Portuguese faction, who persistently twisted their instructions, when they did not act in direct opposition to those instructions, so as to promote their own and their countrymen's selfish and unpatriotic objects. But there had been hope that the zeal of Pedro and José de Andrada would overcome these evil devices and secure the healthy consolidation of the empire. When Lord Cochrane returned, however, he found that the honest minister had been deposed, that his party had been ousted, and that the emperor was surrounded by bad counsellors, who, unable to pervert his judgment, were strong enough to restrain its action, and who were robbing him one by one of all his constitutional functions, and doing their best to bring Brazil into a state of anarchy, with a view to the re-establishment of Portuguese authority in its old, or in some new but no less obnoxious form. The emperor, desiring to do well, had hardly improved his position a few days before the Pedro Primiero's arrival by violently dissolving the legislative assembly, banishing some of its members, and threatening to place Rio de Janeiro itself under military law. That was the state of affairs when Lord Cochrane entered the port. Only five days afterwards, on the 14th of November, 1823, he wrote a bold letter to the emperor, quote, my sense of the impropriety of intruding myself on the attention of your imperial majesty on any subject unconnected with the official position with which your majesty has been pleased to honour me he said could only have been overcome by an irresistible desire under existing circumstances to contribute to the service of your majesty and the empire the conduct of the late legislative assembly which sought to derogate from the dignity and prerogatives of your majesty even presuming to require you to divest yourself of your crown in their presence which deprived you of your council of state and denied you a voice in the enactment of laws and the formation of the constitution and which dared to object to your exercising the only remaining function of royalty that of rewarding services and conferring honours could no longer be tolerated 
and the justice and wisdom of your imperial majesty in dissolving such an assembly will be duly appreciated by discerning men and by those whose love of good order and their country supersedes their ambition or personal interests there are however individuals who will wickedly take advantage of the late proceedings to kindle the flames of discord and throw your empire into anarchy and confusion unless timely prevented by the wisdom and energy of your imperial majesty the declaration that you will give to your people a practical constitution more free than that which the late assembly professed an intention to establish cannot considering the spirit which now pervades south america have the effect of averting impending evils unless your imperial majesty shall be pleased to dissipate all doubts by at once declaring before the news of recent events can be dispersed throughout the provinces and before the discontented members of the late congress can return to their constituents what is the precise nature of that constitution which your imperial majesty intends to bestow as no monarch is more happy or more truly powerful than the limited monarch of england surrounded by a free people enriched by that industry which the security of property by means of just laws never fails to create permit me to humbly and respectfully suggest that if your majesty were to decree that the english constitution in the most perfect and practical form which with slight alteration and chiefly in name is also the constitution of the united states of north america shall be the model for the government of brazil under your imperial majesty with power to the constituent assembly to alter particular parts as local circumstances may render advisable it would excite the sympathy of powerful states abroad and the firm allegiance of the brazilian people to your majesty's throne were your majesty by a few brief lines in the gazette to announce your intention so to do and were you to banish all distrust from the public mind by removing from your person for a time and finding employment on honourable missions abroad for those portuguese individuals of whom the brazilians are jealous the purity of your majesty's motives would be secured from the possibility of misrepresentation the factions which disturb the country would be silenced or converted and the feelings of the world especially those of england and north america would be interested in promoting the glory happiness and prosperity of your imperial majesty that advice in the main adopted by the emperor led to a reconstruction of the brazilian constitution in its present shape and so added another to the great many benefits which brazil owes to lord cochrane but the whole and especially the last part of it being directed at variance with the plans and interests of the portuguese faction it won for him much hatred and many personal troubles Quote, that i a foreigner having nothing to do with national politics he said should have counselled his majesty to banish those who opposed him was not to be borne and the resentment caused by my recent services was increased to bitter enmity for meddling in affairs which it was considered did not concern me though i could have had no other object than the good of the empire by the establishment of a constitution which should give it stability in the estimation of european states consequently in return for the great services he had conferred to brazil he received as had been the case in chile little but insult and injury the course of insult and injury being hardly stayed even during the period in which he was needed to engage in further services the emperor honestly tried to be generous but he could not rid himself of the portuguese faction generally dominant in brazil and his worthy intentions were thwarted in every possible way with difficulty could he secure for lord cochrane the confirmation of his patent as first admiral which has been already referred to no great resistance was made to the conferment of the empty title of marquis of maranjum but he was not allowed to make the grant of land which was intended to go with the title and enable it to be borne with dignity prevented from being generous he was even hindered from exercising the barest justice the injustice was shown not only to lord cochrane but also to all the officers and crews who serving under him had enabled brazil to maintain its resistance to the tyranny of portugal 
though not to shake off the tyranny of the faction which still had the interests of portugal at heart it is not necessary to describe in detail the long course of ill-usage to which he and his subordinates were exposed part of that ill-usage will be best and most briefly indicated by citing a portion of an eloquent memorial which lord cochrane addressed to the imperial government on the thirteenth of january eighteen twenty five the memorial began by enumerating the achievements of the fleet at Baia, Maranjam, Para, and elsewhere. Quote, the imperial squadron, it proceeds, made sail for Rio de Janeiro in the full expectation of reaping a reward for their labours, not only because they had been mainly instrumental in rescuing from the hands of the Portuguese and adding to the imperial dominion one half of the empire, but also because their hopes seemed to be firmly grounded independently of such services on the capture of upwards of one hundred transports and merchant vessels exclusive of ships of war all of which they had a just right to expect would under the existing laws be adjudged to the captors the whole of them were seized under portuguese colours with portuguese registers manned by portuguese seamen having on board portuguese troops and ammunition or portuguese produce and manufacture on arriving at rio de janeiro there was no feeling but one of satisfaction among the officers and seamen and the brazilian marine might from that moment without the expense of one mil ray to the nation have been rapidly raised to a state of efficiency and discipline which had not yet been attained in any marine in south america and which the navies of portugal and spain do not possess it could not however be long concealed from the knowledge of the squadron that political or other reasons had prevented any proceedings being had in the adjudication of their prizes and the extraordinary declaration that was made by the tribunal of prizes that they were not aware that hostilities existed between brazil and portugal led to an inquiry of whom the tribunal was composed all surprise at so extraordinary a declaration then ceased but other sentiments injurious to the imperial service arose those of indignation and disgust that the power of withholding their rights should be placed in the hands of persons who were natives of that very nation against which they were employed in war his imperial majesty however having signified to this tribunal his pleasure that they should delay no longer in proceeding to the adjudication of the captured vessels the result was that in almost every instance at the commencement of their proceedings the vessels were condemned not as lawful prizes to the captors but as droits to the crown his majesty was then pleased to desire that said droits should be granted to the squadron and about one-fifth of the value of the prizes taken was eventually paid under the denomination of the grant of droits of the crown but when this decree of his imperial majesty was promulgated the tribunal altered their course of proceeding and instead of condemning to the crown did in almost every remaining instance pronounce the acquittal of the vessels captured and adjudge them to be given up to pretended brazilian owners notwithstanding that brazilian property embarked in enemy's vessels was by the law declared to be forfeited and that too with such indecent precipitancy that in cases where the hull only had been claimed the cargo also was decreed to be given up to the claimants of the hull without any part of it having at any time been even pretended to be their property other ships and cargoes were given up without any form of trial and without any intimation whatever to their captors or their agents and in most cases costs and quadruple damages were unjustly decreed against the captors to the amount of three hundred thousand mil rays that the prizes of which the captors were thus fraudulently deprived chiefly under the unlawful and false pretence of their belonging to brazilians were really the property of portuguese and well known so to be by the said tribunal has since been fully demonstrated by the arrival in lisbon of the whole of the vessels liberated by their decisions thus the charge of a system of wilful injustice 
brought by the squadron against the Portuguese Tribunal of Prizes at Rio de Janeiro is established beyond the possibility of contradiction. It was only an aggravation of that injustice that, when Lord Cochrane claimed the prompt and equitable adjudication of the prizes, an attempt was made to silence him on the 24th of November by a message from the Minister of Marine to the effect that the Emperor would do everything in his power for him personally. His Majesty, answered Lord Cochrane, has already conferred honours upon me equal to my merits, and the greatest personal favour he can bestow is to urge on the speedy adjudication of the prizes so that the officers and seamen may reap the reward decreed by the Emperor's own authority. A hardship to the fleet even greater than the withholding of its prize money was the withholding of the arrears of pay which had been accumulating ever since the departure from Rio de Janeiro in April. On the 27th of November, three months' wages were offered to men to whom more than twice that amount was due. This they indignantly refused, and all Lord Cochrane's tact was needed to restrain them from open mutiny. In spite of the Emperor's friendship toward Lord Cochrane, or rather in consequence of it, he was in all sorts of ways insulted by the Ministry, the head of which was now Severiano da Costa. A new ship, the Atalanta, was on the 27th of December, without reference to him, ordered for service at Montevideo. He was, on the same day, publicly described as commander of the naval forces in the port of rio de janeiro thus being placed on a level with other officers in the service of which by the emperor's patent he was first admiral and no notice was taken of his protest against the insult on the twenty fourth of february he was gazetted as commander-in-chief of all naval forces of the empire during the present war by which his functions though now limited in extent were limited in time at length, reasonably indignant at these and other violations of the contract made with him, he offered to resign his command altogether. Quote, if I thought the course pursued towards me was dictated by his imperial majesty, he wrote to the minister of marine on the 20th of March, it would be impossible for me to remain an hour longer in his service, and I should feel up my duty at the earliest possible moment to lay my commission at his feet. If I have not done so before, from the treatment which, in common with the Navy, I have experienced, it has been solely from an anxious desire to promote His Majesty's real interests, indeed to struggle against prejudices, and at the same time against those in power whose prepossessions are at variance with the interests of His Majesty and the tranquillity and independence of Brazil, is a task to which I am by no means equal. I am, therefore, perfectly willing to resign the situation I hold, rather than contend against difficulties which appear to me insurmountable. End quote. That letter was answered with complimentary phrases, and Lord Cochrane was induced to continue in the employment from which he could not be spared, but there was no diminution of the ill-treatment to which he was subjected. One special indignity was attended by some amusing incidents. On the 3rd of June, while he was residing on shore, it was proposed to search his flagship on the pretext that he had there concealed large sums of money which were the property of the nation. Quote, Late in the evening, he said, I received a visit from Madame Bonplan, the talented wife of the distinguished French naturalist. This lady, who had singular opportunities for becoming acquainted with state secrets, came expressly to inform me that my house was at that moment surrounded by a guard of soldiers. She further informed me that, under the pretense of a review to be held at the opposite side of the harbour early in the following morning, preparations had been made by the ministers to board the flagship, which was to be thoroughly overhauled, whilst I was detained on shore, and all the money found taken possession of. Thanking my friend for her timely warning, I clambered over my garden fence, as the only practicable way to the stables, selected a horse, and, notwithstanding the lateness of the hour, proceeded to San Cristobal, the country palace of the Emperor, where, on my arrival, I demanded to see His Majesty. 
the request being refused by the gentleman in waiting in such a way as to confirm the statement of madame bonpland i dared him at his peril to refuse me admission adding that the matter on which i had come was fraught with grave consequences to his majesty and the empire but said he his majesty has retired to bed long ago no matter i replied in bed or not in bed i demand to see him in virtue of my privilege of access to him at all times and if you refuse to concede permission look to the consequences his majesty was not however asleep and the royal chamber being close at hand he recognised my voice in the altercation with the attendant hastily coming out of his apartments he asked what could have brought me there at that time of night my reply was that understanding that troops ordered for review were destined to proceed to the flagship in search of supposed treasure i had come to request his majesty immediately to appoint confidential persons to accompany me on board when the keys of every chest in the ship should be placed in their hands and every place thrown open to inspection but but if any of his anti-brazilian administration ventured to board the ship in preparation of the contemplated insult they would certainly be regarded as pirates and treated as such adding at the same time quote, depend upon it they are not more my enemies than enemies of your majesty and the empire and an intrusion so unwarrantable the officers and crew are bound to resist well replied his majesty you seem to be apprised of everything but the plot is not mine being as far as i am concerned convinced that no money would be found more than we already know of from yourself i then entreated his majesty to take such steps for my justification as would be satisfactory to the public there is no necessity for any he replied but how to dispense with this review is the puzzle i will be ill in the morning so go home and think no more of the matter i give you my word your flag shall not be outraged the emperor kept his word and in the night was suddenly taken ill as his majesty was really beloved by his brazilian subjects all the native respectability of rio was early the next day on its way to the palace to inquire after the royal health and ordering my carriage i also proceeded to the palace lest my absence might seem singular on entering the room where the emperor was in the act of explaining the nature of his disease to the anxious inquirers his majesty burst into a fit of uncontrollable laughter in which i as heartily joined the bystanders evidently by the gravity of their countenances considering that we had both taken leave of our senses the ministers looked astounded but said nothing his majesty kept his secret and i was silent Reader's note, end of anecdote. that anecdote fairly illustrates the treatment adopted towards lord cochrane and the straits to which the emperor was reduced in his efforts to protect him from his enemies in power the ill-treatment both of himself and the whole fleet continuing he addressed an indignant protest to his majesty in july Quote, the time has at length arrived he there said when it is impossible to doubt that the influence which the portuguese faction has so long exerted with the view of depriving the officers and seamen of their stipulated rights has succeeded in its object and has even prevailed against the expressed wishes and intentions of your majesty the determined perseverance in a course so opposed to justice must come to an end the general discontent which prevails in the squadron has rendered the situation in which i am placed one of the most embarrassing description for though a few may be aware that my own cause of complaint is equal to theirs many cannot perceive the consistency of my patient continuance in the service with disapprobation of the measures pursued even the honours which your majesty has been pleased to bestow upon me are deemed by most officers and by the whole of the men who know not the assiduity with which i have persevered in earnest but unavailing remonstrance as a bribe by which i have been induced to abandon their interests much therefore as i prize those honours as the gracious gift of your imperial majesty yet holding in still dearer estimation my character as an officer and a man i cannot hesitate in choosing which to sacrifice when the retention of both is evidently incompatible 
I can, therefore, no longer delay to demonstrate to the squadron and to the world that I am no partner in the deceptions and oppressions which are practised on the naval service, and, as the first and most painful step in the performance of this imperious duty, I crave permission with all humility and respect to return those favours and lay them at the feet of your Majesty. I should, however, fall short of my duty to those who were induced to enter the service by my example or invitation, were I to do nothing more than convince them I had been deceived, it is incumbent on me to make every effort to obtain for them the fulfilment of engagements for which I made myself responsible. As far as I am personally concerned, I could be content to quit the service of your Majesty, either with or without the expectation, of obtaining compensation at a future period. After effectually fighting the battles of freedom and independence on both sides of South America, and clearing the two seas of every vessel of war, I could submit to return to my native country unrewarded. But I cannot submit to adopt any course which shall not redeem my pledge to brother officers and seamen. That and other arguments contained in the same letter, aided by inducements of a different sort to be presently referred to, had partial effect. A small portion of the prize money and wages due to the squadron was issued, and Lord Cochrane remained for another year in the service of Brazil. His weary waiting time at Rio de Janeiro, however, extending over nearly nine months, was almost at an end. On the 2nd of August, he left it, never to return. While the ingratitude shown to him in Brazil was at its worst, it is interesting to note that a few, at any rate, of his own countrymen were remembering his past troubles and his present worth. On the 21st of June, Sir James Mackintosh, in one of the many speeches in the British House of Commons in which he nobly advocated the recognition of the independence of the South American states, both as a political duty and as a necessary measure in the interests of commerce, made a graceful allusion to Lord Cochrane. Quote, I know, he said, that I am here touching on a topic of great delicacy, but I must say that commerce has been gallantly protected by that extraordinary man who was once a British officer, who once filled a distinguished post in the British Navy at the brightest period of its annals. I mention this circumstance with struggling and mixed emotions, emotions of pride that the individual I speak of is a Briton, emotions of regret that he is no longer a British officer. Can anyone imagine a more gallant action than the cutting out of the Esmeralda from Callo. Never was there a greater display of judgment, calmness, and enterprising British valour than was shown on that memorable occasion. No man ever felt a more ardent, a more inextinguishable love of country, a more anxious desire to promote its interests and extend its prosperity than the gallant individual to whom I allude. I speak for myself, no other person is responsible for the opinions which I now utter, but ask, what native of this country can help wishing that such a man were again amongst us? I hope I shall be excused for saying thus much, but I cannot avoid fervently wishing that such advice may be given to the Crown by His Majesty's constitutional advisers, as will induce His Majesty graciously to restore Lord Cochrane to the country which he so warmly loves, and to that noble service, to the glory of which I am convinced, he willingly would sacrifice every earthly consideration." End of chapter 11. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.